my cup. Think to be a decker, must to see clean far them top. Get me kings a flint, Hey everyone, welcome to Call Me Now with Judy Gold. I am your host, Judy Gold. And this week on Kill Me Now is part one of my interview with John Pavlovitz. He's a pastor. Uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you're out of your mind. His most recent book, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, Finding a Faith That Makes Us Better Humans, is out and great. And he's great. And I hope you enjoy. I really love him. We did a radio show together and, and had so much fun. And he's, he's adorable, handsome, and... Uh, you'll see. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, and they, thems, and others, and whomever else. I'm so excited. I've been dying to interview our guest today. Ever since I met him at John Fugel's. But did we meet on John Fugel's saying show? We did. We did. Yeah. It had to be six years ago, five yeah. years ago, something like that. And I was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. His name is John Pavlovitz. He is a pastor. He is an author. He is a blogger. He is a father. He is a husband. He is fucking smart. Oh, he's a brain tumor survivor. Yes. What else? I don't know. He's a graphic artist. He's a lot of things. And he's on our show. Now, John, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to the show. I doubt it, but... Because yes. all you do is write. Of it, I you have. I have a Jew bell. And um, anytime I mention anything remotely Jewish, I ring a bell, you know, just to show people how much we've contributed to the world. Now, Fantastic. I am going to go out on a limb. I think you have some Jew in you, John. <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't be the first one. And I, I can't, you know, I. I don't know that I do, but I wouldn't want to deny it. I wouldn't, it wouldn't okay. it'd be I'm wonderful. You, look at your Jew face and you're exactly. are you part Russian. Are you part Russian? I am part Russian and we're finding out it could be Polish. So who knows, right? I'm telling you, I know because I know. And or did you do your DNA or no? Have not done that yet, but uh, we'll be doing that soon. And I can report back to you so we can verify this. Oh, my God. I Because I know <laughs> I am. I can tell a Jew, you know. Right. We have a thing. And although you are Mr. Christian, I'm telling you, you have Jew in you. Anyway, uh, but you know what? You'd be happy about it, unlike other people. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. Would not worry me. <laughs> so, John, I'm so glad you're feeling well because you, you had you. a... Uh, tumor on your pituitary gland and they right or the pituitary the bottom part they they went through your sinuses right they did they did so that nose was very handy and so yes yeah, we you're, had you're the welcome. doctors like i got it made uh and so yeah that happened in october so they've gotten most of the tumor but there's still residual tumor and so we're working on that trying to get that taken care of so i did some blood work today so i'll know pretty soon how we're doing Wait, so they got some of the tumor and there's a, that's right because they had to they, I read that it was a five hour surgery. 
Yeah, I can't remember. I was out of it. Um, but they, yeah, it lasted longer than they thought. And a little, it was, in, you know, really kind of um, <clears throat> embedded in there. And so they got as much as they could. But because it's a hormone producing tumor, they've realized from the blood work that, yeah, we didn't get it all. And so I'm on meds right now to try to counteract that. And we'll find out. And there'll be a lot of steps we can take to before I'd even have to consider another surgery. Um, so we're, we're, I'm feeling really pretty good. The fact that I'm able to do all the normal stuff, you know, and was able to a couple months out. It's fantastic. And you feel good? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I have some uh, anemia and that I can't get to the bottom of. So I'm energy loss. But for someone like me and you, that's kind of a drag because oh, we right. hit those moments where we got to pull back. But really, I mean, I'm really fortunate. So that the fact that I can still write and travel and speak and right. I just if I say something stupid or incoherent, I just blame it on residual tumor. So I'm going to use that for a while. Oh, I might right? use that. I'm going to use that for my knee yeah. surgery 10 years ago. I had I got anemic from my knee surgery. I had a total uh -huh. replacement and it's the worst feeling like I felt like like I they, I got up to do like the physical therapy and I thought I was going to pass out like it, it it's really bad yeah. it's yeah. like having a weighted blanket on you it's just kind of like you're just sapped of right energy. do you uh have you been drinking uh, eating a lot of red meat huh I've been working on it yes I have and right. uh, I'm getting the old iron infusion which I heard is really exciting where they just actually hook you up and give you a bunch of goodies so we'll see oh, how that yeah. goes that's going to be good. All right. Now, John, <laughs> uh, you are so fascinating. And, uh, you know, I remember doing the show with John. I was like, John Fugel saying, I was like, oh, my God, I mm -hmm. love this guy. And, you know, I am a big Jew. But um, yeah. you grew up in Wake Forest. Well, you grew up in uh, upstate New York, correct? Or yeah, yeah. Syracuse, Central New York, Syracuse and uh, and lived in the Northeast and went to school in Philadelphia and college. Right. So Northeast for much of my life. And then came down to North Carolina maybe 15 years ago or so. So you're you're growing up in by Syracuse. You're from a Catholic family. Yes. Um, how many siblings? I couldn't find that anywhere. I have uh, two, uh, three younger siblings, two brothers and a sister. Oh, you're the oldest. I am. Oh, so yeah. So my my girlfriend Elisa is always very into birth order, and. Yeah. And it's so fucking annoying because every time we sit, you know, we'll meet someone and then she'll be like, oh, do you have siblings? But, oh, you're oh, you're the youngest. Exactly. Well, that explains it. I'm like, shut up. It doesn't explain Ex anything. But yeah, that's right. There is something about the eldest per eldest that they think they fucking they're bossy and they think they know everything. Hmm. I can see that. I can see that in myself for sure. Okay. You were very Catholic. Your family was very Catholic. The kind of Catholic where, I mean, my we didn't eat meat on Fridays in Lent, but, you know, my parents, you know, cussed and, you know, watched anything they wanted to. And so it was right. a really confuse, confusing Catholicism. So I would have to, I could do a lot of things, but then I had to confess it to the priest. Right. So did you go to Catholic school? I did. I went to Catholic school for. Yeah, you were uh, taught gosh. by the nuns. I, I, I yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, quite an experience. So my formative years all the way up until almost 17 was in in that sort of environment. So you're going to Catholic school. I'm fat. Like, I don't know anything about Catholic school because I'm a Jew. So we <laughs> I went right. to like public school and then I went to Hebrew school three times a week and I wanted to kill myself. But um, <laughs> so you went. What was Catholic school like? 
And did you have any friends outside of Catholic school? I, you know, Catholic school was a wonderful experience for the most part, but there was this guilt embedded in the whole thing. There was a sense of, uh, yeah, God loves you, but you should probably be terrified of him as well. I can remember the nuns bringing in a full skeleton uh, on a, you know, and I, and it was, and she looked at all the girls in the class and she said, ladies, as you're putting on all that makeup, I want you to realize this is what you really look like underneath. And this is like sixth grade. We're all just staring at this big skeleton. So it did have, you know, there were some things that were a little unusual. I'm learning now, but I did give a sense of loving my neighbor and the sense of the common good, which helped. But took it really seriously. You know, I did. I mean, I was I was too afraid not to. I think I grew up believing that, yeah, God loved you, but he was out to squash you. So do the right thing and don't, you know, don't cuss and don't masturbate and all those things like that. And so uh, it was it was for me, it was my formative story. And so I couldn't see outside of it. I did have a lot of, you know, non-Catholic friends, but there were things there were barriers because I couldn't go to certain places. But for the most part, I could I accepted that diversity around me. Your siblings, were they, they also went to Catholic school? Yeah, yeah. We, you know, it wasn't until that we had like a schism with the, with the Catholic church over, I remember my, the, the priest, the, the head of the church, of the school and the church calling my parents because they hadn't been giving as much as they had in a while. And there were sort of this really strong armed uh, approach. And that giving money wise, right? Yeah. And that finally that finally made my parents think twice about this. And then I had a sibling come out and as gay, and that really kind of severed that strong connection. It was more, it was more ceremonial after that. It was never the same. So as a kid, you go to school and these nuns teach you, right? Mm -hmm. And they're in their habits. Are they in their habits? They are habited up. You know, I have a lot of ex-Catholic friends. Uh, Uh And a lot of friends that went to Catholic school. Do they real? Do they hit you? Do they? Some uh, did. You know, we had, we had. I actually had. I had other kind of civilian teachers as well mixed in, and there were. You know, the nuns were very. I remember one. She would come in with an acoustic guitar, and she'd be rocking the folk songs, right. and so she was really granola. And but then there were some who were really stern, and really they brought out the ruler, just like all the stereotypes. Right. But it was so. It was um, a really diverse experience, even among the the clergy who taught us, because there were priests as well. So it was really. Uh, quite interesting to have them talk to us about things like sex and marriage and the that's, irony of it. That's the thing that is, so, <laughs> yes, it is so ironic. Like, you know, I think about, you know, as a Jew, the rabbis can get married and they can have families and they do yep. family counseling, counseling. And it's like, you honestly, you're a parent. You don't know anything about that's your right. no. Until you have, I'm sorry. I, you know, people are like, oh, I'm, you know, my niece is my, no, you just don't, unless you are responsible, you are the kid's guardian, you are, you know, you really, it's, it's that the thing that people say, like, it's like your heart is walking outside of your body. So true. Yes. And the, yet these clergy, are advising you or how do you rec- 
reconcile that? I mean, did, did your parents believe, like, did they go to the priest or the, you know, for advice or? Yeah, they did. And, you know, looking looking back now, having come through ministry as a pastor myself and having people come to me and realizing I'm not equipped to talk to people right. about this stuff. It could be, it, this could be some, you know, mental health issues or something that abuse right. where I, where I realized I was well above right. my knowledge. And then when you look at my parents or people in the Catholic church who not only went to the priest, but considered them an in-between between them and God. And so that's the, the really, um, destructive part because they end up speaking for God and you realize now they had no idea a right. lot of what we were even going through. Yeah. So you go to school, do you do any extracurricular activity? Like what's it like? Is it, do you have a longer school day than most people? No, you know, it was, it was fairly normal. I mean, I think I, I played basketball and I, you know, uh, hung out with, with my friends and I, you know, I, I felt like it was normal. And in a lot of ways, looking back, it was, it was just, I had that sort of God story and that presence of religion that was embedded in all of that. But, um, yeah, but I was, you know, pretty social kid, had a lot of friends, uh, did a lot of fun stuff, was into art music. And so pretty well-rounded. And, you know, Catholic school, my son plays college basketball and so many Catholic schools have great basketball teams. Yes. Yes. And I was, I was really, uh, I would, <clears throat> our school was not competitive with the schools around us. We were very different. So our soccer team, I was the most valuable player on our soccer team and I scored what? one goal. Oh. I scored one goal and oh. that was a game that we tied. So we were, uh, it was not a great experience. <laughs> But look, you were most valuable player. So that's that's right. Did you go to church every Sunday? Did you? Oh, yeah. Yes. Church every Sunday. Church even on some days during school time. Uh, I was an altar boy. I mean, the whole yeah, what thing. What was that it, like? Like, what's it like being an altar boy? It was a terrifying experience because it was going back into the inner sanctum of this building where you were taught that sort of God lived. And so you're basically in God's house. And I can remember looking back this, we would get paid a little money to be, um, to hand out the programs at church. And I look back now at this statement, I, I was probably nine or 10 and there were three of us, three boys, we were getting our money and the Monsignor said, what shall we give him? Shall we give him instead of money? Shall we give him something else? Shall we give him a kiss? <gasps> and the three of us were just standing there with this awkward smile. Uh, we ended up getting the getting paid and leaving. And I maybe 15 years later thought that was one of the most bizarre moments of my right. life. And it could have turned out completely horribly. Thank goodness we just, you know, left. But um, never forgot just the power of religion and the, the power that people have when we place them in those, when we right. trust children, we trust children with them. It would right. be unthinkable at the time for my parents to think anything, but something wonderful was to happen. Right. I mean, I've talked to a lot of, I just, I, a lot of ex-Catholics and, and people who are religious now. And I just, what we know about the Catholic church and, and, yeah. And pedophilia and all that kind of stuff that happens in the mm-hmm. Catholic Church. Not every Catholic Church. I'm not saying every priest or, every, you know, 
it's been going on for so long and these parents right. trust they're like they think it's like now with the gun thing you you, know, you send your kid to school that's supposed to be the safest place they're at and now that's right they're hiding under their desk and your parents are thinking i'm giving this kid a great education i can trust these people because they're people of the cloth they're people of the, you know mm-hmm. of the lord you know they're going to do the right thing it's crazy i i just how do you reconcile? I know you're no longer Catholic and we'll get to that later, but like, did you ever go home and say that was, I mean, you, you mentioned that one time. Do you ever, did you ever say, Oh, I felt weird or is this one weird? And I, I don't know. You know? Yeah. It, I can remember the other thing that the Monsignor lived in the, you know, the, excuse me, lived in the house right next to the church and the school. And I remember one of the honors was to go over and, and clean shoes in the in the Monsignor's home. And I, I, you know, I remember doing that during a school day and thinking, this is really strange that while people are learning, some of us are over here cleaning shoes for this man yes. who was supposed to. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, what, it was really bizarre because I now try to connect the dots as to what was I thinking at age 10, right. 11, 12. Right. And part of it was, I want to do a good job because this guy is going to talk to Jesus and I want him to give right, me right, a good right. report. Right. But, um, and again, uh, so it's moments like that. And thankfully I never had anything beyond some really odd moments. Um, but I know obviously the horror stories are there and that's where in the highest levels of organized Catholicism with the popes and in the bishops, you really see, how we protect predators in that kind of environment, because that kind of power, it does nothing productive. And also how do you behave? Like you're this horrible person to you're, you're abusing these children and then you get up in front of the congregation. Like I'm the greatest thing that ever walked the face of the earth. Like, and you deal with the parents. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. You get in that world long enough. And I learned it as a, being a pastor that, that, that environment is so, uh, especially if you're a narcissist, it is really power a powerful drug for a narcissist because it continually tells them they are of elevated worth and zero accountability. And so right. you start to believe it. As we talk about this, it's so similar to politics. The, the crap these people get away with and their real behavior, yep. it's just total hypocrisy. Hey, everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 
60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50, to get... 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. So you believe in Jesus from from the very beginning. Jesus is a very important. Yep. As a Jew, as you know, I'm a Jew. Um, and I might be, and you're definitely, but (laughs) what, like, I really want to ask you killed Jesus. You're horrible. You're like, what? Like, I really don't feel like dealing with that anymore, but it's, I don't understand if you're Christian, how you can hate the Jews. Well, first of all, if you're Christian, how you can hate anyone because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I mean, what true Christians are, you know, there's that term tikkun olam in Judaism, heal the world. Yes. And I feel like, that, you know, that's the same for true Christians, but whatever. But the point is that what is this? Like Jesus was a Jew, you know, okay. We decided that we're, you know, we're still waiting. Do you have to like mm-hmm. vilify? Like, what is that? Well, you find that Judy and most people, if their Christianity is based in fear, if it, if it needs an adversarial kind of energy, then you're always going to be looking for an enemy, people to persecute, people to blame. And that's what we see in politics and religion at their right. worst is it leverages this this fear of the other. And it wants to get people terrified because no one wants to be accountable for the world that they live in. And so that's what I see. I see religion constantly used to to create an other, to be the encroaching enemy so that that church can say, we'll protect you. And what right. you see in Trumpism, you see it all over the place. Right. You go through school. Were you a good student? You know, I was a, I was a decent student. I have a 16 year old now, and I'm always kind of talking to him about his grades. And then I went back and looked at mine and they weren't as good as I remember them, but I did find on my report card, my sixth grade report card says, uh, there's little notes on the back from the from the nuns. And my teacher said, John is a very good student, but he often finishes his work early and distracts the rest of the class. So we've had to send him to the library 
And so I've always been sort of um, an instigator, an antagonizer, right, entertainer, right. whatever it is. So, um, but I was a fairly good student and yet I was probably a lazy student. Right. Yeah. Mine were all, uh, Judith is, uh, very smart. She's very disruptive. She has no self-control. I'm like, and you know, it's funny because Ben, my younger one who used to, he, I, I got called in cause he would be talking or whatever. And, uh, my ex and I, we would get called in and the teacher would be like, listen, Ben is, you know, a great student and he's participates in everything, but you know, he's got to stop fooling around and mm-hmm. making everyone laugh. And my ex is like, Oh, he's in so much trouble. And I was like, yes. But <laughs> at one time we went to the parent teacher conference and the teacher's like, look, this is really hard because some of the stuff, the, like a lot of the stuff he does also makes me laugh. And yep. I was like, Oh my God, I'm so proud. And my ex is like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, Oh, whatever. But, um, <laughs> It's just so funny when you go back and read those report cards. Uh, were you ever afraid of the nuns? Yes, because I still, you know, I'll still see penguins and get worried right now. Right. You know, that's embedded in you because, um, again, they were not just um, just teachers or authority figures. They represented they represent God in some way to you. And so their anger was something that you really carried with you and their correction. And uh, so and I, I think that's what, you know, that sense of people betraying that trust, but also the love for the common good. Both of those things I inherited from that right. faith system. So I, I hold both of them as in the work that I do. So they sort of present this thing like, uh, like be, a, be afraid of God, be fearful yes. of God. You have to be good. Uh, otherwise God's not going to love you. And FYI, we're the ones talking to him, right? Like it's, we're the ones yeah. Doing writing your recommendations, yeah. discuss. Yeah. So, oh my God, it's that's so anxiety provoking. Yeah. And then again, you know, there were some throughout my life who I can look back now and say they didn't buy that. They right. they were working in the system, but they were subversive in their own way. Right, and they right, were right compassionate and they were helping us understand uh, the beauty of diversity, but there were others who were as with pastors and, and people in politics, they were absorbed by the system and changed by it. Why do you think like you're a dad and a husband and a son and a, and a brother, you know, like, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are not in relationships and have no kids. Okay. Why would you take a job where even if you wanted to, you couldn't like, you don't even have the option anymore. Like, I don't understand that. So, and you're, you're saying from the perspective of like, I'm going to be a nun, which means I'll never be able, like, I, I love, there's so many great nuns, you know, and there's so many different sects of nuns that are like, you know, for climate change and, you know, like there's so many cool nuns. Right. But yeah, I close yourself off from that sort, that love that uh, another human being's love. Yeah. I've always, you know, there was something about that, that sacrifice that was painted as a, a romantic gesture at the time. It's very strange. And looking back, what it does is it, it forces people to live a, a less than fully, 
full life, right? They get this this edited version of of the world, and I just never understood how they could be giving us advice about things that they've never experienced, right. and how sad that was. Right. Yeah. And they wear a wedding band. Hmm. Because they're married, <laughs> are they married? Are they essentially married to Jesus? Yeah, I mean, I I never heard that mentioned in in school, but I I remember trying to connect the dots between a bunch of priests who weren't married and a bunch of nuns who weren't married, and them always being together, and then looking now, I say, gee, I wonder what was going on there right. because that's a really weird dynamic, and then they're teaching you sex education. So, right. oh, that's fantastic. I remember going to my first gay bars when I was in college and people would say, I'm a priest. And I was like, what? I can't, you know, I have bumped into so many or met a a number of priests in in LGBTQ plus at that events or, or places and everyone knows. And I don't, I don't understand it. How you can live yeah, your life. Well, I, and doing the work that I do, whether it's coming out of Catholicism or coming out of um, Judaism or coming out of um, evangelical Christianity, many people in clergy, the expectation on them caused them to live. Um, they couldn't live fully authentic lives outwardly. And so they had these inner lives right. that were always hidden. And so I see so much of that in, in people who have served in ministry, the way it actually destroys you. Right. And that's something I'm always pretty sensitive to. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you ever have a crush on a non-teacher? Uh, I can't say I did. I saved that for when I went to secular school in my senior year. Um, so I, I, I probably would have known better. I mean, I might've liked some, but right. I, I would have just I would have had to confess that and it wouldn't have worked out well for anybody. OK, I actually had my I had a list of safe sins, by the way. So you you had the screen where you go into the little phone booth and you confess that way. But right. our church had this new radical progressive thing where you could also sit with the priest in a in a what classroom and just just talk to him. And so I had we started doing that. So I had to come up with a list of, um, you know, sins that I would share with him that were you know, good enough that he would believe me, but I couldn't give him the full ones. Right. right, right so, right, I, right. so I have my safe sin list that I gave him. Now, do you have to go to confession when you're Catholic a certain amount of times or do you? Yeah, you would. So if you actually, if you wanted to go to com- take communion on Sunday, then you would have to go to confession sometime during the week. So it was often, if you didn't go to confession, you had to choose to sit in the pews while everyone went to communion. So it was a barrier for you to actually to be, have this closeness through this, this communion meal with Jesus. So I have been in a confession thing, you know, <laughs> and it, it's so, you know, cause we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. We sit there, we fast, we think, mm-hmm. Oh, I did all year. We, Found our chests, you know. I thought, oh my God, that's so, that would be so much easier. Like, I did this, and then you go and you tell. It's, but it seems so weird. Like, did you ever have to make up stuff because you're like, I didn't do anything wrong this <clears throat> week? Or- oh, yeah, for sure. I had, I made up sins all the time, or I would say, 
boy, I just did this horrible thing, but I can't share it. So let me come up with something else that's almost right. as bad, but not as bad. You know, George Carlin, I'm just listening. He's got a routine about how he'd go to confession and you'd know that this one priest was really lenient. So you'd go to him because he'd right. get you in and out, you know, right. and that was, that was true. You know, you, you would realize, okay, however much I, the bad stuff I did would require me to do a certain amount of praying. And so it was a really strange transaction that recurred. Did you ever stop yourself from doing something because you knew you were going to have to go to confession? No, I only remember saying, I'm going to have to not, I'm going to have to lie about this. So, so I, then you, then you have to confess that you're lying. And so oh it became it's a, like, you know, it's, like a catch 22. it's like, it's a, it's a loop of damnation. Yeah. Yes, it is. Did you feel now then they tell you, you have to say this and do this. They tell you what to do to be absolved. Right. That's right. That's right. Once you did that, did you, did you feel absolved? I did for, you know, 30 minutes. And then I did something that I knew I was going to have to confess right, the next right. week. So it, I tried to, I remember trying to stay sinless for a while, like an afternoon I was going, okay, I haven't screwed up yet. And then right. I would see, see Linda Carter as Wonder Woman and go, oh, dang, you know. God I, damn it. <laughs> well, that's something we have in common, John. <laughs> well, there we go, yes. And our Jewishness. Though. Yes. You know I love my liquid IV, that I drink liquid IV pretty much every day. And I love it because it keeps me hydrated. I travel with it because it's in little packets. It tastes great. It's an amazing product. It hydrates better than water alone, three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks, eight vitamins and nutrients, non-GMO. But here's the best part. You know I've been bragging about Ben my son, Ben, who plays basketball, his team, his entire team, they love Liquid IV. I mean, they are number four in the nation. They are an amazing team. They've done better than ever this year. Dare I say it's because of the Liquid IV? I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm telling you, these athletes love Liquid IV. They love all the flavors, strawberry, lemonade. I love the watermelon. I never give them any of my watermelon. They have sugar-free, white peach, green grape, lemon, lime. It makes you feel great. And if you need a little caffeine, the, the uh, lemon ginger is beyond, beyond. And I know they use it while they're working out. I'm pretty sure they might use it after a game that they won and went out and had, you know, a couple of drinky poos. But that being said, I love Liquid IV. They're a great sponsor. They're a great product. And I honestly couldn't live without them. And it's winter still. You need to be hydrated. Hydration is very important. So weekends are for going wild, as you all know. Have a game plan for Monday. That's what you need. I just had this conversation with Ben's girlfriend. I said, if you're going to go out and party, you need a game plan. And what's your game plan? Liquid IV. Weekends or for going wild, have a game plan for Monday with Liquid IV. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code JUDYGOLD, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Superior Hydration today using promo code JUDYGOLD, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at liquidiv.com.
You're welcome. I don't know. I just find it fascinating that, you know, like that you do something. And is there this sort of comfort in knowing, oh, well, I did that horrible thing or not even a horrible thing, but just a thing that's supposedly horrible in my religion. So I'll go to, and then it'll be over with. Like just knowing it'll be over with. Like for, I think for the Jews, it's like you keep thinking about it. And think, mm. Like, do, did you let it go at that point? I did. I, I totally did because the, the, the mythology, the story, the narrative was Jesus accepts that. And then you're a clean slate. And there is something really, um, freeing about that uh that idea you know i later on i realized okay i, I didn't need someone to tell me i had that you know right, right, right. that was the the part about it but i did have that sense of relief and exhale and oh okay okay i'm done over. with that and i can move on yeah, yeah. We, we don't have any way of moving on and then the, <laughs> also the priest getting to decide what the punishment is that's yes. enough that's pretty intense right like you are sort of deciding how bad this is and how much you ha- have to repent for. Like that's pretty. Yes, intense, I think. Well, and the and the, yeah, it is. And the but the whole thing was it was always just really the amounts of prayers, which then you started to ask. You know, I started to say, well, is God really up there saying, okay, if he if he says ten of these hail marys right. were good, if he only says seven, then no. Um, so it was this really arbitrary, strange. Uh, it was a transaction, right. With my spirituality, it's very, right. very strange. Yeah, that is very transactional. Okay, so I read that you said. Um, you said that you grew up in mainstream suburbia and you were very aware of in-groups and out-groups, I read. You just went along with everything. And then you go to um, to go to college. You study graphic yeah. design at the uh, University of the Arts in Philly. And right. all of a sudden, you're around artists and gay people and people of color and just all this. And I mean, I can't imagine growing up in this secular, this, okay, this is, and and so God centric, you know, Mm -hmm. and you go to this, I mean, university of the arts, it's this great school in Philly, but it's so diverse. Like, were you freaking out? Like what? Yeah, I can remember. I I equate it to if you go to like a a carnival and you throw like a ping pong ball in a little fish tank, you know, you get that little fish and you take them home. You can't just throw them in this aquarium. You have to adjust him. And I was sort of just dropped into Philadelphia. And so surrounded by this diversity and, and really seeing poverty up close and it just... But it was a beautiful thing. It was it wasn't uh, frightening at all. It was just eye opening, and to be around people who thought so differently and people I was taught to be afraid of or intimidated by, and then you talk about that faith story and realize that some of that started to blow up when I realized, oh yeah, actually, I remember my first job was working for a catering company. These two guys, Danny and Joe, owned the catering company. I remember like three months into my job thinking, Danny and Joe are such good friends. They have a business together. They even bought a house together, you know, and then realizing, oh, wait a minute. Danny and Joe are a couple. Everyone in this catering company other than you is gay. So um, and realizing 
that if I had known that at that time before taking the job, I wouldn't have taken the job because I was so intimidated or scared right. by what I grew up hearing. But now I, I love these guys. They were family. And so that really, that was just one example of just everything being blown up. My old stories just getting blown out of the water. Right. It's because because you it humanizes it. I mean, that's why Harvey yeah. Milk said you have to come out. You have to come out. And it's true because then everyone realizes that they know and love a gay person, you know? Yeah. So you, I, I, I'm sure they were all making fun of you. Like John yeah. has no idea we're gay. Uh, right. And they probably all thought you were gay or in the closet because you were like <laughs> yes. drawn to the gays. Um, so when you say I was taught to be fearful or of them, how did they teach you to be afraid? I mean, being a gay and and being around a person whose religion is like anti-gay for us, I think on the gay side, we're like, like, what what is wrong? Like, what is wrong with you? But I never thought of it. Like, I guess you're right. It's a fear, right? What What's the fear yes. about? That the you're going to turn about, gay or? No, it was actually just being taught that for whatever reason, I wasn't supposed to approve of gay people. Right. And approval meant just not being horrible to them. And so I, what I didn't want to do was get God angry. So it was about what I was supposed to, the, the view I was supposed to have was that this was wrong or unhealthy or whatever they were, the story was. But I, so I never, I never wanted anything but to, to get, get it right with God, which meant I had to not approve, uh, not consent to these people and their, their sinful lifestyle in quotes. Right, right, right. And, um, and I didn't, and it didn't make any sense by the way. And right. that's something as I got older, I started to realize, I said, you know, life argued with my theology. I started right. to have people in my life and say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you start coming up against the narrative you've lived your whole life. Right, right. It's just crazy. And you got a scholarship there, huh? I did. I did. I was, art was my, my life. And I was, it was basically like fame that school was like yeah. art people singing in the cafeteria. Right. And it was, it was awesome. And you were a, a visual artist, like you drew yeah. or, and did, did they foster that in your high school or? Yeah, I can say they did, except for, I remember them cutting back on the budgets in the Catholic diocese. And I remember them cutting our art teachers so that I ended up being taught by a nun who really had no aptitude by the time right. I was about 11th, 11th grade. And then I ended up switching to public school for senior year. And, but really for my whole life, that was all I wanted to do since I was about five or six being an illustrator. And um, so I did that and was working after college as an art director and illustrator. Wait, you went to public school for your your senior year. Was that like a shocker? It wasn't because my Catholic school was actually 45 minutes away from my home, but this was my local high school where right. all my friends from like roller skating were, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so it became, Oh, you know, John's coming over here. And it was, yeah. it was such a great experience because I did have a, a, a perfect transition. It wasn't that awkwardness that right. I, of all that time. So did you go to prom and all that stuff? I did. I yeah, I was actually prom king. Um I, I say that I, I was homeschooled at the time, but right. <laughs> no, you know, junior year I actually was prom king and I just uh that was a, one of the more surreal moments um of my life. Yes. 
<laughs> made wow. no sense. I didn't even go to the prom. Okay. So you go to college. Um, yes. And you become an illustrator, which are, do you still draw? I do. I do. In fact, oh, it had been a while, but we I actually started up again right before the, the last book came out and I kind of gave away a, a copy of the artwork that I'd done. And so it's now becoming something that I do because I love it, but it'd been a long time. I'd been out of practice for sure. Right. Do, do your kids have any talent in the aptitude for that? Yeah. Yeah. My one, my one son is, is um, much more athletic and he's, and he's um, real compassionate kid, but my daughter is 12 and she's total art music. Cause I was a songwriter. So I was right. doing all sorts of stuff and she's got definitely got that bent about her. She's the passionate fiery one. Thank you so much for listening to part one of kill me now with the one and only John Pavlovitz. I said Pavlovitz. I know it didn't sound like it, but I did. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. Podcast would not be possible without the help and the dedication of Brittany Jo Sowards. Uh, if you haven't subscribed and left a review, you're an asshole. Okay, that's all I have to say. Five stars only, please. Five stars only. And my book, yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble, keeps getting more relevant as the weeks and days, no, it should be days and weeks and months and years go on. So that's a thing you might want to read. You know what I'm saying? Also, I have some shows coming up. Jessica Kirsten, who was a guest on the podcast and is a good friend, she and I are doing a show together at the Wall Street Theater in Norwalk, Connecticut. On June 2nd, that is June 2, that is Thursday night at 7.30, and it's going to be fucking hilarious because we're both really fucking hilarious, okay? Also, I'll be in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I start at the Art House, also known as the Fart House, because I'm very mature. I think I start, yes, June 24th and 25th, Friday and Saturday, I'll be there. And then the following Friday and Saturday, July 1st and 2nd, a lot going on. So um, check me out. Oh, and, and check me out in The First Lady on Showtime. I'm one of Eleanor's lesbian friends. And I look like a lesbian, but I'm sitting the entire time because, you know, Jillian Anderson is tiny and Eleanor was tall like me. And uh, yeah, so that's that. And I look gigantic, but who cares? I'm in The First Lady. Also, let's see, I have someone who listens to the end who has contacted me that, because I can't believe people are still on this. It must be that you're like in your car or you're, I mean, no one's voluntarily listening to the end is my, my, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I always listen to the end too, because I don't want to miss, I have FOMO on everything. So anyway, uh, Gail Goldner is my shout out for a person who listens until the end. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Here we are in this world. <laughs> it's not the best. Because <laughs> there's war and hate and war and hate and war and hate and war right now. That's my war and hate song. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. Please take care of one another. Please. Please be healthy and safe. And I'm still wearing my mask. I don't care what anyone says. I just really don't feel like getting sick. And uh, I don't know what else to tell you. 
I really, I'd like to lose a little weight, but that's a whole other, you know what I'm talking about with the menopause? All right. Listen, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I will uh, talk to you next week. And as we always say, so long.